Hey everybody, welcome to The Conscious Love Show. Whether you are single, you are in a relationship, or you're healing a broken heart, this show is here to inspire you, to remind you how beautiful, lovable, and amazing you truly are, and to give you the practical tools and insights to navigate from wherever you are right now to the loving relationship that you so deeply want to have. My name is Shane Kohler. I'm a certified transformational coach and trainer with over a decade experience helping people release their trauma and open their hearts to love. I've delivered seminars all over the world, coached thousands of people through my online platforms and programs, and every week I'm coming straight to you with the hottest insights and the best teachers around, bringing you powerful resources and profound conversations to heal your relationship with love, dating, and yourself. I'm so grateful you're here, and if it's your first time, welcome. You can count on me to always show up for you with my very best and a commitment to learn and grow myself so I can serve you to my maximum ability. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I've got some awesome things planned for you today. So without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, hello everybody. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. Shane Kohler here. Pleasure to be back with you this week. And in today's episode, I want to speak about choosing the right partner. And, you know, this is this is a big conversation because I think, you know, the person we choose is going to really affect every aspect of our lives, our mental and emotional health, our identity, how we feel about ourselves, what becomes possible for us, what doesn't become possible for us, where we live. I mean, how much happiness we have. And not that not that your partner is going to make you happy because they don't, but if you choose the wrong partner, they will make you unhappy, right? So like the degree of happiness that you can experience in your life is directly related to who you're in a relationship with. And I just think so, so much of our lives are affected by this. And, you know, love is, it's, it's a fundamental human need. I, I think the And the desire for love and relationship, I know it shows up differently for different people. And, you know, some people experience it more in like a committed monogamous situation. Some people experience it more in different kinds of situations. But the need that we all have to have love in our lives is fundamental to every human being. And no matter who you are or how you frame love personally for yourself, we are all engaged in a search for love. Right. It's, it's something that every single human being on the planet is engaged in, in some form, in some way or another. And so for those of us who love to us looks like, and, and I want to say one of the forms, but maybe a primary form or a, a major form of love in our life looks like sharing that relationship with that specific partner and we're looking for that person, maybe you're on the dating apps, or maybe you're going out, having your friends introduce you to people, or going out doing things you love, hoping to meet someone in the wild. But, you know, however you're approaching it, you're engaged in the search for this special someone that you're going to partner with, that you're going to build your dreams with. And as you're engaged in that search, one of the most important questions you can be asking yourself is, how do I choose the right partner? Or what does the right partner even look like for me, right? Like a lot of us, a lot of us are out there seeking love and seeking relationship without even clarifying what we're really looking for in a partner. And I think, you know, that's that's a huge mistake because if you do that, you're just going to end up with whoever's there, whoever you develop an attraction to. And like 
most of the time, that's not the right partner because most of the time our attractions are based in trauma and things from our past and unresolved issues. And, and we just project those attractions onto people and repeat the same patterns, right? So, so just kind of letting it happen is not necessarily a great approach, right? There needs to be a level of consciousness in the approach. There needs to be a level, a level of awareness. And whether this is cognitive, like, like some of us very cognitively think this out and get really clear, like writing it down on paper of what we're looking for in a partner. Some of us intuitively, we have a sense of how we're going to feel with the person, um, what we're going to experience with them, the kind of person they would be, right? And there's, there's an intuitive sense and intuitive clarity that when we see them, we know, right? We can feel it in our, in our soul. But however you get there, there's got to be some clarity around what you're looking for as you're looking for your person. And what I want to say, and this is, I think, how it happened for me. I think it's how it happened for my wife. It's how I see it happening for so many clients is there's a kind of a magical process that takes place as you're dating and as you're getting to know people. And I always say like one of the, one of the bit, one of the best or most powerful ways to clarify what you're looking for is to look at your disappointments, right? Is to look at the, the things in love that have disappointed you and to ask yourself what the exact opposite would be, right? There's actually a, a process that I've given to clients over the years. I've, I've called it the pendulum. And what it is, is like you sit down and you think of a relationship. You think of your ex or someone that you were with, or maybe you could even use two or three different relationships. But you think of the things in those relationships that really hurt you, right? The things in those relationships that really let you down, that were really disappointing or disillusioning or just left you like, really? Is like this what I can expect from you, right? Like those kinds of situations. And when you, when you think of like, again, you can use one, um, you can use one relationship, you can use several relationships, but if you just think of like specific instances, like, you know, they didn't show up to my birthday party. Or they told me that they loved me and they saw a future with me and then they ghosted me, right? Or they, I found out that they were saying one thing to my face and then to their friends, they were saying something else, right? To my face, they were saying, I think you're the one. I, I think I want to, you know, go the distance or whatever. And to their friends, they were saying, oh, she's just a girl. She's not that big of a deal, right? So if you think of like, I'm just giving some examples here, but you think of instances where you've been disappointed. And then you ask yourself, what would the exact opposite of those instances be, right? And if we just use the, ex the exact same three examples, right? They didn't show up to my birthday party. Well, what would, what would be the opposite of that? Like they show up with flowers, like enthusiastic, like ready to celebrate you, right? Or they were saying something different to their friends. Like, well, what would the opposite of that be? The opposite would be they're saying the same thing to their friends, right? Like, I really like this person. I, I want to take this somewhere, right? So you take the exact opposite of the thing that disappointed you. And that gives you something very clear to look for in a partner, right? You say, going forward, as I, as I go out and I meet someone else and I start to, I start to date people, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of the, the things that have hurt me or let me down or disappointed me in the past. And now I'm looking for someone who shows up in the exact opposite of that. Right. If I have a history of people who have been inconsistent, hot and cold, you know, they love me one day, the, the next day I'm, you know, old news or whatever. Right. Like I'm looking for someone. OK, the opposite of that is consistency. Right. So I'm looking for someone who shows up consistently and you can really you can really like anchor that in your heart and in your soul. And you can really start to, you know, be present to that with every person you date. Just asking yourself, like, are they consistent? 
And there's something really magical that happens in this process because all of us, every single one of us, I mean, if, if you think you're the only one out there, I promise you, you're not, right? Like all of us are going to experience disappointment, rejection, letdown, sadness in, in the dating world, right? We're going to develop attraction to someone. They'll maybe make promises. We'll think it's going somewhere. We'll be let down. We'll fall in love. We'll get our heart broken, right? Like all of, all of these things are things that are going to happen to all of us. And each time we experience something like that, there's, there's the opportunity to go into victimhood. There's the opportunity to go into why me and why couldn't it just work out? And if you do that, you're not really growing. You're not really learning anything. You're not really getting any closer to the love you want. You're just kind of digging your heels in and setting yourself up to create more of the same. But if if in a situation like that, you have your heart broken or you get ghosted or you get let down or disappointed in some way, you can really like sit with that experience. And, and, you know, of course there's going to be some grief to process around it. There's going to be some letting go, you know, and that's, that's just natural. That's part of the process. But aside from that, if you can really connect to the love that you are looking for in that experience. Like, okay, this didn't work out, right? This person let me down. They hurt me. They broke my heart. They disappointed me. They lied to me. They cheated, whatever, right? That This didn't work out. And I'm, I'm letting that go. I'm grieving that loss. But in, in, in the process of letting that go, I'm searching my own soul about the love that I really do want to have in my life right? What would that look like? What would that feel like? Okay. Like this person cheated on me, but what if, what if I was with someone who didn't cheat on me? What would that be like? Like, what if I was with someone who was really committed and really loyal and really honorable and really honest? And like, like I could take it to the bank. Like I just like, I know what I can count on from this person. Like there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my soul. I know who they are. And what would that be like? What would that feel like? And so there's a, a very magical process of with each disappointment or letdown or heartache in the same time as we're grieving that loss and as we're maybe suffering the, the pain that comes with that, we're also clarifying the dream. And so as we move through that grief and we go through all the stages of sadness and bargaining and anger and, you know, all the way through to acceptance. But as we move through those stages and we move our way to acceptance, by the time we arrive at acceptance, we are a new person, right? Like we're a new, like a transformation has taken place in the grief that has brought us to this new place where now I'm looking forward and I have greater clarity on what I actually want in a partner. And not only do I have greater clarity just in a cognitive sense, like I made my list, like this is not a laundry list that I'm talking about. This is a soul process. This is something that happens in your spirit where it's not just that I, I think I know what I want. I know it in my soul. It's a part of me. And so what has happened in that process of grieving is I have actually become more vibrationally equal to the love that I'm seeking. I have, my personal energy has grown away from the relationship that hurt me and closer to the love that I'm seeking. I have experienced a transformation in my own energy by processing that grief or that loss or that sadness. 
And so on the other side of it, I am closer than I have ever been before to the love that I'm looking for. Now, of course, you might have to go through this several times, right? Like, in fact, you do go through it. We all go through it several times, right? This isn't just you do it one time and you're done. I mean, maybe sometimes people are lucky and it happens that way, but that's usually not the way it happens, right? There is a process of going through a handful of experiences, many experiences sometimes, each experience clarifying and strengthening that knowing in my soul of the kind of love that I'm inviting in, the kind of partnership I want to have, the kind of partner that I want to share my life with. And every single time I experience a loss or a disappointment, I grow a little closer to that. It becomes a little more real for me. Now, a lot of us do the opposite. A lot of us, every time we experience that loss or that disappointment, we grow away from it right? We, we grow deeper and deeper into the hopelessness, deeper and deeper into the idea that it's never going to happen, deeper and deeper into the idea that the only thing I can experience is more of what I've experienced in my past. That's when you fall into the victimhood and the why me and why couldn't it have just worked out and all of that, right? When you fall into that, you take yourself away from the love you're looking for. But if you go through this process consciously, and you are consciously growing through each experience. You are consciously clarifying what you're looking for in a partner, what you want to bring forth from yourself, your, what your truth and your authenticity looks like, your willingness to ask for what you want and speak your truth and, and the courage to stand up and, and all of this, right? Like as you're, as you're developing all of that, you are growing closer to the love that you're trying to find, to the love that you're seeking. And so if you're doing this, if you're really growing through each experience, and, and I say this based on my own personal experience, I say this based on the experience of my wife, I say this based on the experience of hundreds, if not thousands of clients that we've worked with over the years, is that if you are consciously growing through each experience, you will not be attracting the same quality and experience of relationships over and over and over and over and over again. You just will not. It, it just, it doesn't happen that way. And if you are experiencing the same quality of relationship over and over and over and over and over again, if you're attracting the same types of narcissistic or non-committal or, you know, wishy-washy, hot, cold type people into your life over and over and over and over again, then something you want to just like let it sink in for yourself is you're not really growing through these experiences. Because if you are really growing through the experience, there's a there's a, a, a quote that, I mean, I've heard it my entire life. I don't know where it came from. I don't think anyone knows where it came from. But it's, it's like a, a wisdom about life that I think is fundamentally true. It's that the lesson will keep repeating itself until you learn it. And, like, and I'm talking about relationships right now, but this goes for every area of our lives, right? The lesson will continue to repeat itself until you learn it. Right? So if there's an area of your life, it could be in, in your love life and dating and the type of people you're attracting. It could be in any area of your life. But if there's an area of your life where you feel like you are constantly hitting a wall, the question you've got to ask yourself is, what is the lesson that I am not learning here? Right? What is the lesson that I am not learning here? Because if the lesson keeps repeating itself, then I'm not learning it. Right? So what is the lesson I'm not learning here? And what do I need to finally learn so that the lesson can stop repeating itself. And I think in, in the conversation of choosing the right partner or in terms of our search for love and wanting to create love in our lives, the lesson that so many of us 
struggle to learn is how to walk away from what we don't want. How to identify what we don't want and walk away from it. And we have this fear. And look, I get it. Like, this is childhood stuff. I mean, like, you know, most of us, most of us did not grow up in a context of abundance. We grew up in a context of scarcity, uh, context of scarcity. And it was around love, it was around finances, it was around everything. So most of us were raised and live in a scarcity model. And if you if you feel scarcity in your heart, it's not like I feel scarcity of money, but I don't feel scarcity of uh, love, right? It, it doesn't work that way. If you feel scarcity in your heart, it's projected onto everything. So you feel scarcity around everything. You constantly feel that there is not enough. And in your heart, you feel that you are not enough, right? So it's like, there's not enough money. There's not enough love. There's not enough time. There's not enough fun. There's not enough friendship. There's not enough anything. And underneath it all, I'm not enough. And so we're living in a context of scarcity. And what a context of scarcity says is that whatever I have, I have to hold on to it really, really tightly and never let it go. Because if I let it go, there's not enough. Now, that is not the way the universe works. Like it's, there's, it, it's just not. There is always more than enough in the universe. And some of us need to learn in our body and in our, like, in our soul that like when we let someone go, somebody else will come along. Yes, there might be a period of time in between. Yes, we might need to do some growing and some soul searching in the interim. Right? There might be, there might be a, there might be something that needs to happen before that next person comes along, but there is not a shortage of people on this planet. There are 8 billion people here. There is always, always, always someone else. Always, 100%. There's always someone else who can come. You can never, ever, ever run out of people. And we've got to get used to the process of identifying what we don't want and letting it go. Right? We've got to get used to the process of identifying what we don't want and letting it go and trusting that when I do that, something better, something more in alignment with who I am is going to come along. And that's actually a huge level of growth, right? Just, just feeling safe enough in my own body to release this relationship and trust that something more in alignment with who I am is going to come when I do that. That is a huge level of growth. I would say when you get to that place where you can actually naturally and easily and comfortably let someone go, you are very, very close to finding love based on what I've seen from all the clients in my own experience. Because that kind operating in that kind of abundance is energetically reflective of the energy of love. Love is abundant right? Operating in that absence of fear, right? I'm not, a, I'm not afraid. I'm like, I, I believe that there's more than enough to go around. I believe that I am more than enough to attract the right person for me. So I'm not really afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of being left alone. I'm not afraid of being forgotten. I believe in who I am enough, right? So that I, I think is a huge level of growth. And so what I really want to what I really want to talk about today, and I, I know I've talked about a lot already, but what I really want to get into in today's conversation is a little bit of a conversation around red flags and green flags. But like, you know, when you're dating someone, 
How do you identify who you need to let go? And how do you identify who you need to keep? Because I, I think really like, if you can get really, really good at that, right? You meet someone, you spend a month or a couple of months with them, you get a feel for who they are. Like you really, like you really get a feel for who this person is, right? Not just the show they're putting on. Like there's some of that, but you really get a feel for like, okay, I can see who this person is. I can see how they live their life. I can see what their values are. I can see what their principles are. I can see what their relationships are like. I can see how they spend their time. I can see what's important to them. I can get a sense of their character. Right. And based on that, not not any one thing, not how tall they are or what kind of job they have or the kind of car they drive or how popular they are, or how good looking they are or how they make you feel. Right. Not not just any one thing, but you can get a sense of the whole picture. And, and in that whole picture, you can see behind the curtain and get a feel for who that person is as a human. Like, what is their character? And based on that you can make a conscious decision of if this is the kind of person that you want to seriously consider building a life with. And if not, if they don't pass that test, it's like, hey, it's been wonderful getting to know you. I had a lot of fun. I don't think we're compatible, but I wish you well. And you can do that comfortably because like, there's a, there's a shift that happens when you really understand that hanging on to someone that there's not that real, true compatibility with, just because you're afraid to be alone, only ever leads to like pain and suffering. And, and then, you know, what happens is like, it's, it's such a fucked up thing. If, if you've ever been through this, like, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, there's someone that you weren't even really that into, but you were afraid to let them go. So you hung on to them and then they left you down the road. It's like, man, that is a, that is a real shot to the ego when that happens. It's like the person that you didn't even like that much leaves you because you didn't have enough courage to just step out into the unknown. I mean, like that, that sucks when that happens. But anyway, I digress. My... My whole point bringing this up is that I want to get into a conversation about red flags and green flags, right? Like, what do we really look for? What are those signs? What are those signs that I am truly compatible with this person? So let's start with, let's start with the red flags. Like, how do you know that you're not compatible with someone? And you know, some of these might be pretty obvious. Some of them may be less obvious, but I, I think, you know, like the first thing I want to say about red flags and, and green flags is like, we're, we're often looking for if like a red flags mean a red flag means they're a bad person and a green flag means they're a good person. And I mean, when we're talking about someone's character, okay, yes, green flags could signify a high quality character. Red flags could signify a low quality of character. But it's not just about that because you're not just trying to find out, is this a good or a bad person? What you're really trying to find out, is this someone that I'm truly compatible with? And I see a lot of people getting stuck in relationships with good people that have very little compatibility, right? So red flags and green flags are not just about, is this a good person or a bad person? But this is about like, 
Do I have deep compatibility with this person that we could realistically like spend our whole lives together, that we could build our dreams together, that we could have a home and a family and whatever it is for you, right? But is this the kind of person that I relate with on a deep level? And that's what the red and green flags conversation is really about. Whether they're a good or bad person. I mean, look, if if this person is like has like high levels of narcissicity, no, that's not a word. <laughs> What's the word? Nar, nar, that's narcissicity. That, that is definitely not a word. Um, narcissism, nar, narcissistic tendencies. <laughs> if this person has very high, that's what, that's what I'm looking for. If this person has very high levels of narcissistic tendencies. Then, I, I mean, you're probably not going to want to be with them. That's obvious, right? But even, even beyond that, right? They might have low levels of narcissistic tendencies, but still just not be someone that you really relate with, right? So so when we're looking at the red and the green flags, I mean, something, something I want to say just to start is that the, the red flags, things like inconsistency, things like hot and cold, things like they tell you one thing one day, you know, oh, I could really see this going somewhere. Oh, I've never felt like this before. Oh, I think I'm falling in love with you. And then the next day you can't even get a hold of them. They won't even answer their phone, right? Like things like that are not an invitation to chase. Things like that are not an invitation to try harder. Things like that are not an invitation to prove yourself. Things like that are red flags, period. And so I want to just get this one like out of the way right up front, right? Like somebody that you have to play the push-pull dynamics with, the hot and cold games, the where are they, when am I going to hear from them again, someone that you like sit by your phone and wait for messages from constantly is not like there's no there's no green flag there like that is only a red flag now look if this person is consistent 90% of the time and every now and then they have a busy day and they get disconnected from their phone like you can you can be comp, you can compromise a little bit right you can compromise a little bit but I, I mean if this is the way this person is like again we're talking about the character of a person right if their character like uh, think about this if someone is inconsistent, hot and cold, tells you one thing, doesn't follow through on it, they say things they don't mean, like if that's this person's character, like what does that tell you about this person's character? It tells you they're not empathetic, right? They have no empathy for your experience of the relationship. They're not even, either they're not aware enough to understand that this is hurtful to you or they just don't give a fuck. Either way doesn't bode well for the relationship, right? So like when, when you're experiencing behavior from someone like this, right? When you're experiencing this kind of lack of care and this inconsistency, like when you're experiencing this from someone, like don't think this is an invitation to prove yourself or try harder, like recognize it for what it is. It's someone who really doesn't give a fuck. Either they're not aware enough to give a fuck or they just don't. But either way, like you can't really build a life with someone like that. Now, look, there and people will ask, they'll say, well, what about like 
What about somebody who they're inconsistent, but it's because they don't really know and they're trying to figure it out. And shouldn't I give someone space to figure things out? Like, and, and like, you know, there's the, there's the kind of anxious toxicity. We don't often think of anxious people being toxic, right? It's usually the avoidant people that we think of being toxic. But there's there's a kind of anxious toxicity too. And the anxious toxicity is like the super pushy, like won't give you room to breathe, won't let you think, like I need you to commit, giving ultimatums, right? Like so, I'm so unable to be with my own experience that I drop incredible amounts of pressure on you and, and like, and don't give you like reasonable space to figure out how you feel. So yes, if someone if someone is bringing that kind of anxious toxicity, that's not fair either. But someone figuring things out doesn't look like them being completely hot and cold, right? Someone figuring things out looks like open, honest, heartfelt communication. And this is something that I would say is actually a green flag. Right? Like somebody who can be honest with you and say, listen, I really like you. I'm really enjoying our time together. I see a lot of possibility here. I'm struggling with some things, you know, like I, I still, I still feel like maybe I'm not over my ex or I feel like maybe I'm not in love with you in the way I should be. Or I feel like I don't know, like, I really like you. I really like what we're doing, but I just don't know if this is the right relationship for me. And I'm really trying to figure it out. Like somebody who can be in the discovery of themselves and be honest with you about where they are and be honest with you about what you can expect and have open, honest communication as you figure this out together is actually a green flag. You know, this is so interesting how a lot of us will chase down the person who's being hot and cold until like, you know, we're so miserable that we want to die. But when someone honestly tells us they're not sure how they feel about the relationship and they're struggling to figure it out and they're just asking for a little bit of time to, to like search their soul and figure out how they feel, we won't give that person a chance. But the person who's being hot and cold and completely dishonest, we'll give them a chance. And the only reason we do it is because the hot and cold person tells us what we want to hear, even though it's not true. The other person tells us what we don't want to hear, but it's true. And we will often give more of a chance to the liar than the honest person. Just because they tell us what we want to hear. Now, this is the kind of stuff, like when I, when I go back to choosing the right partner, right? This is the kind of stuff, like this is where you've got to evolve yourself. Because if you're, if you're so taken by that, like if you look at what's happening there in the, in the example I just gave, where you are, you fall for the person who is dishonest because they tell you what you want to hear but you don't give the person who is honest a chance because they're not telling you what you want to hear. Like what's really going on there, if, if you look at that, and, and it's important to look at, is like there's, there's such a need for external validation, right? There is such a need 
for me to have someone tell me the things I want to hear to make me feel safe, that I'm not able to like regulate my experience and live in the gray area as I figure something out with someone, like that is just such a huge relationship skill that you've got to have, right? Like there is, there is no realistic relationship that you are going to fall into and have all the gray area cleared up from day one. And you're just going to feel totally safe and totally comfortable the whole way through. And like, you're never going to struggle with it. Like there is no relationship in which that is ever going to happen. That's a fantasy. And so your ability to live in that gray area, to regulate your emotional experience, to give someone space to figure out how they feel. You know, I have a client who's, uh, she's in my Inspired Love program right now. I was just talking to her earlier this week. And she was saying that this very thing happened, right? The guy she's been dating, it's been going really well. And he came to her and he said, listen, I just, I don't know how I feel. I don't know where this is going. I like, I, I'm just, I'm not clear right now. And I'm really, really struggling with this. And what she said to him was okay. You know, I got it. And I'm going to give you space to figure that out. And if you take too much space to figure that out, then I'm going to start moving on. And I don't want to do that, right? Like, I don't want to do that. I want this to work. I've really enjoyed our time together. I really want this to work. But if you take too much time, I am going to start moving on, right? Like that, that's what she told him, like powerful communication. And this woman is doing incredible work about regulating her own experience of the situation while she's navigating the gray area with this guy, giving him space to figure out his truth in the situation, honoring her truth, being a powerful communicator with him, creating powerful boundaries. I mean, like this is incredible work that she's doing. And it's not easy work to do. But this is the important work of navigating the dating world. Right? This is the important work that we do in relationship with people. And so, going back to what I was saying about the red flags and the green flags, you know, this... When you're looking for, when you're looking for someone that you can really build a life with, the first thing you have to find in that person is someone who can just honestly talk to you about the relationship that you're attempting to create together, about where you stand in it about where they stand in it. Someone that you can have like deep, heartfelt, emotional conversations with. Someone that you can share your truth with. Like here's another huge red flag. It's when you say something to someone, like I just wanna let you know that I am looking for long-term. Like I am looking for real commitment. I am looking for a life partner. I am looking for someone I can share my dreams with. Like I do want to eventually have a home and a family, right? Like when you're, when you're vulnerable enough to open yourself up to someone like that and really share your dreams with them, like that, that, that is such a vulnerable act, you know, like to, to just like open your heart up and like share your dreams with someone that is such a vulnerable act. 
And what you need, like a, a foundational thing that you need with someone is the ability to receive that. Whether they want the same thing or not, whether they can be that person for you or not, they need to have emo enough emotional maturity to understand that like, oh, you're sharing your dreams with me right now. And that's important. Like, that's a big deal. And regardless of how I feel about that, regardless of if I think I can be that person for you or not, I recognize that like something sacred is happening right now. And I hear that. And here's another thing you need. You need someone who wants to honor that. Someone who wants to honor that. And look, like I've, I've coached men in the past who just were not in a place where they were ready to commit. And what these men would do, like men, men that were honorable, and, you know, they, they weren't trying to hurt anyone. They, they wanted to be honest. They wanted to have integrity. But for whatever reason, where they were in their career, whatever, they were just not in a place where they were commitment ready. And when someone would share their dreams with them like this, what this person would say is they would say something to the effect of like, that is so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that with me. And like, you deserve to have that. And, and I really need to be honest with you before we get too far ahead of ourselves right now. It's like, I am just not in a place where I'm ready to be that for someone. Right? And it's just like, like even, even though they weren't the person who was ready to step into that, there was an awareness that they wanted to honor that because they understood how sacred it was. And that shows you something about the person's character. Right? That's something about somebody's character when they can hear your dreams and understand that they're sacred. And you need that with someone. Now, of course, you need to, to actually create a partnership. You need that with someone who's also willing to step into that. But I wanted to share that example because I wanted to, I wanted to presence like what an important attribute that is for someone to really like really honor what you want. You know, I, I think this is another huge green flag, one of the biggest green flags, and this is something that we need to carry with us as much as wanting to see it in another person, which I, I think really goes for all of this, but this one in particular I think is so, so powerful, is that you need to want for the other person what they want for themselves. And when you're dating someone, you need to get the feeling from them that they want for you the thing that you want for yourself. Right? Like you need to you need to get it about this person's character that when you're in conversation with them and when you're sharing your dreams or when you're talking about what you want or when you're asking for a need to be met, they want you to have that. Right? There's so much that happens, and I think men and women both do it. I, I, I really do. Um, maybe it's more cited one way. I, I don't know. But, but I, I think men and women both do it. And it's this, when, when your dreams are an inconvenience for me, 
or when your needs or your desires are an inconvenience for me, I make you wrong for them, right? Whether it's through some kind of mocking, why are you so needy? Whether it's through judgment and criticism, whether it's through ignoring or just like making them unimportant, operating over them, right? But but there's this, it's a subtle and it's it's actually abusive. Like if, if someone is doing this to you in a relationship, it's actually abusive. And they may not even realize that it's abusive because maybe their parents did it to them, but it is like, it's, it's a form of abuse is when, when you're in a relationship with someone and they are constantly making you feel bad about the things that are important to you. That's a huge red flag, like huge, huge, huge red flag, right? They don't have the capacity to honor what matters to you. I mean, it's, it's a, it, I don't want to say the person is necessarily a narcissist, but it is a narcissistic quality where I am so wrapped up in my own world and what I want and what I want from you and who I want you to be and who I want you to be for me and what I need from you is that whenever your reality messes that up for me, I just try to shut it down. I just try to stamp it down. I want to make you feel bad about it. I want to make you feel small. I want to make you feel embarrassed for even asking. I want to make you feel ashamed. Why? Because I don't want your reality messing up my agenda for this relationship. Right? That's a big red flag. Whenever you experience that from someone in any way, that's a big red flag. Right? So as you're, as you're getting to know someone and you think about, you know, what we're talking about today for anyone who's just joining in is we're talking about choosing the right partner. And, you know, what I've just been saying is the, the very first thing, the very, like the very most important thing when choosing the right partner, I think, is this kind of emotional availability. The willingness to just see you and see the love that you're wanting to create and to honor that. The, the second piece is their openness to stepping into that. <laughs> okay. I guess when I did a peace sign, balloons just shot across the screen. That's funny. I didn't know that happens now. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, um, what was I saying? The, the balloons totally threw me off. Um, so the first thing is their, their ability and their emotional availability to just honor what you want. Your, your truth, your, your dreams, your desires. The second thing is their willingness to step into that, right? Like I, those, are just, those are just two fundamental criteria when it comes to choosing the right partner. And so many of us, and when I say so many of us, I mean like so many of us are chasing relationships with people that don't even have those two foundational criteria. Like if you're dating someone right now, whether you're live with me today, whether you're listening to this on the podcast, like I just want you to check in. If you are dating someone right now, do they have those two fundamental criteria? The willingness to really hear your dreams and like discuss them with you like a reality, right? Like, like I want to go the distance. I want to have a home. I want to have a family. I want to be married. I want a life partner. I want to build the dream together. Like, are they realistically engaging in those conversations with you? Number one. And number two, are they stepping into that with you? Yes, I could see the same thing. 
Yes, I want the same things for myself. Yes, I think we can have that together. Day by day, week by week, month by month, are they taking the realistic steps to step into that with you? If you are dating anyone and you don't know the answer to those questions, those two questions, like you don't know where you stand on those two points, before you do anything else in the relationship, you got to clarify that. And by the way, this isn't something that needs to take years to do. This can easily be done in three months or less. And I've often said, like, from, from your first date, it's okay. Like, I, 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 in, in the Inspired Love program, I coach the ladies like this. And this is what I say. I say, at the end of your first date, this is what you should say. If you like the person and you want a second date. At the end of your first date, this is what you should say. So the whole first date, you keep it light. I mean, you shouldn't ask some deep questions, some character questions, get a feel for who the person is. But, you know, in general, like no pressure. You keep it light. Things are easy. Things are fun. And then at the very end of the date, this is what you say. You say, wow, I had a wonderful time tonight. It was so much fun getting to know you. Um, this was amazing. I would love to see you again. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to let you know something. You know, I'm here tonight because I am looking for something real. I'm looking for a long-term relationship. You know, ultimately, I want to get married. And before we plan a second date or even talk about seeing each other again, I just want to know, you know, are you open to the same things? It doesn't have to be like, yes, 100%, I want to get married by next year. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be that strong. But they need to at least say, yeah, absolutely, I'm open to the same things. Absolutely, long term, I have the same vision for myself. You know, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, I would like to be married with a family, right? Like if they cannot even, even admit to being open to that, that's a red flag. And it doesn't mean they're a bad person, right? Like it doesn't mean they're a bad person. But it means in terms of what you're looking for, that's a red flag. And I can't tell you how many women that have said in that moment, well, I have to be honest, as much fun as we had tonight, like if you can't even be open to that, I can't justify a second date. You know, I, I wish you well. I hope you find everything you're looking for, but I can't get more invested in this if you're not even open. And I can't tell you how many women have said that to a man and had him call 24 hours later and say, you know what, I've been thinking about it. I can be open. Let's go on a second date. Right? Because when you really, when you really put the line down and said, listen, you're going to lose me. Suddenly he realized how valuable he, you were. And suddenly he goes like, no, you know what? I want that second date. But when you just allow yourself, sure, no big deal. Second date, third date, fourth date, fifth date, six months, 12 months, two years. When it happens, it happens. Like if you show up like that, you are not presenting yourself as someone of value. You are presenting yourself as someone who has no dreams, no intentions, no desires, no commitments for their life, no expectations. And you're just willing to be someone else's plaything. That does not create respect. So, in terms of choosing a right partner, 
those two things are essential. And I would say from day one, they have, like I said, they have to at least be open to it. And within a matter of three months, they have to be able to clearly say, I see a future with you and I want to explore building that. Anything else is a red flag. Like you, you're like, is it that black and white? Yes, it's that black and white. And, and like, and, and that's not even that black and white, right? There's a lot of flexibility there. On the first date, he could say, I've never really thought about it, but I could be open to it. Let me see. Let me see how I feel. That would be enough for a second date. And over the course of three months, he could fall in love with you and he could say, yes, I want to go all in. Right? Like there's a lot of flexibility there. But if you're getting into the fourth and the fifth and the sixth month and he's still going, I don't know where this is going. I don't have any intentions for this. Big red flag. Big red flag. You are, you are on the path to choosing the wrong partner at that point. So when it comes to um, choosing the right partner, there are three criteria I often give. Uh, vision, values, and velocity. Vision, values, and velocity. Vision. Where do I see my life in 10 years? Where do I see my life in 20 years? Right? Now, do you even know the answer to that question? Of course, a lot of things can change, and, and to a certain degree, we want to go with the flow and, and allow the magic of life to happen but if you don't even have a clue where you want to be in 10 years, the odds of finding a partner who can go there with you are slim to none. Unless you just get crazy lucky, which I don't even know if that actually happens. Maybe it does. I don't like, I'm on the fence on that one. I don't know if that actually happens to people. Maybe it does. Right. But you've got to have an idea of what your life looks like 10 years from now. Where do you see yourself? You know, again, married with a family and a home, being a stay-at-home mom or working or traveling or, you know, what does it look like? What does the vision look like for you? Like, you've got to have an idea about that because you've got to be able to tell someone else what that is. And early on, as, as I've been talking about, right? Like on a first date or second date, like you've got to be able to tell them, this is what I'm looking for. This is where I want to go. This is, this is what I want to have in my life. Right? So what does that vision look like 10, 20 years from now? You know, big, we could call it like big pillars, right? Of course, there's so much room for flexibility. You know, the state or the country you live in can be flexible. You know, what you do for work can be flexible. You know, even whether you stay at home or work, like even that could be flexible, but the kind of relationship you're in, I mean, that's not something that could be super flexible. Like you either want to be married or you don't. Right? So you've got to clarify that. You've got to own it. You've got to, you've got to believe it enough and believe in yourself enough to sit across the table from someone on a first date and say, this is what I want in my life. This is what I will have in my life with or without you. Right? Like you've got to, you've got to believe it enough and own it enough that you can actually sit across the table from someone and say that. And if you don't believe in it to that extent and you don't own it to that extent, 
What in God's name do you think would ever have it happen for you? Like, really think about that. Like, if you're not even, if you don't even believe in it enough and own it enough to sit down and say it out loud to another person, how the hell would it happen for you? It just wouldn't. And so many of us are just kind of going through the motions, one swipe at a time, one date at a time, hoping that somehow it's going to amount into our dreams coming true. Like, I want everyone to understand creating love is a conscious, intentional process. Yes, there are a lot of people who just end up married. How happy are they? Well, given the divorce rate, probably not very happy. Given the fact that even the people who stay married statistically have unhappy marriages, most of them, not very happy. So you've got to understand that like, this idea that you're just going to somehow organically stumble your way into the, the love of your life, in my experience coaching thousands of people, it doesn't work that way. The way it works is, is it is a conscious, creative process. So you've got to know what that vision is. You've got to see it. You've got to feel it alive in your body. You've got to carry it in your heart. Like I've said, I've said this many times that when you go out into the world, you are a beacon of the vision that you carry in your heart. It's like spilling out from your soul. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vibratory energy that people pick up on when they're around you. The energy of that vision is so powerful that it literally attracts in what is in alignment with it and repels what is not in alignment with it. And if you don't have that, then you don't have creative power. You're just stumbling along hoping for the best. So vision. You know what your vision is. You've communicated it to the person. They are in alignment with it. Now, yes, you can have differences, right? You know, my wife and I, something we built into our vision was that I would have a whole floor of my own where all my differences could live. Why? Because my wife would never put this wallpaper anywhere in the house, right? So I need to have a space of my own where that wallpaper could go. So that's the, that's the thing. You can have differences. It doesn't have to be an exact match. You can, build space for, uh, you can build space for both of you to exist in the vision. But you've got to have a vision that the other person can get on board with. So that's the first thing. Values. Values. Vision, values, and velocity. Number two is values. Values are the things that are deeply important to you in your soul. And not like hobbies, not like interests, not like entertainment, not like you like the same TV shows or you both like to play basketball or whatever, right? Those aren't values. Values are things like family, monogamy, right? Like you, you might go out there and find a great person beautiful person, beautiful human with a great soul. They're kind, they're intelligent, they're funny, they're great to be around. But if you value monogamy and they value polyamory, you're going to have a tough relationship, <laughs> right? Like one of you is going to constantly feel violated in that relationship. One of you is going to constantly feel taken advantage of. One of you is going to constantly feel like you're sacrificing something that matters in your heart to appease the other person, no matter which way you look at it. Right? So that would be a value. Um, 
I mean, like things like health and wellness, right? Like it's not just like, not like hobbies, like, oh, I like to do CrossFit. Oh, I like to do yoga. Like you don't have to work out in the same way, but valuing health and wellness, right? Like wanting to take care of my physical body, wanting to live a long life, wanting to have energy for travel and kids and wanting to be able to grow old together and have vitality in my older age, right? Like that's important. That's a value, right? I want to take care of my health and my wellness and my body. Being growth oriented, that's a value, right? Like I want to grow. I want to become more year by year. I want to grow our family. I want to grow our wealth. I want to grow my personal, like who I am as a human being. I want to grow my depth of intimacy and compassion and understanding. Like all of this, I want to be able to like do more good in the world, right? Like that's a value. I've, I've met a lot of couples over the years that one person is very, very growth oriented and the other person is just like a couch potato and no judgment here. Like it's okay. People can be whoever they want to be, (laughs) but if you want to grow and expand and thrive and live and your partner's a couch potato, like you're probably going to feel like held back in that relationship you're probably going to feel like you can't really be yourself or you can't be who you want to be. And it's probably going to create animosity because your partner is going to want you to sit on the couch with them and they're going to be judging you for wanting to do all this stuff and you're going to be judging them and there's going to be friction. Right? So these are these are values. I see Leisha in the comments wrote self-awareness. Yeah, like someone who's self-aware, right? Like I'm aware of myself. You're aware of yourself right? Like that's a value. Um, like just a compassionate communication style or strategy, right? Like that's a value. Like the, the desire to, to have peace in our relationship. And even when we fight, like we don't attack each other. We don't call each other names. There are certain lines we don't cross, right? Like that's a value. So you need someone that can align with your values. Because if you end up in a relationship with someone who does not align with your values, what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a giant wall between the two of you. There's there's gonna be a lot of animosity that builds up. Like if I use the example about the polyamory and the monogamy example, right? Like in that, if you have a polyamorous person and a monogamous person who are together, one of them is going to always feel like they're sacrificing. If if the monogamous person allows the relationship to be open, the monogamous person is always going to feel hurt by that. If the polyamorous person allows the relationships to, to stay closed, they're going to feel like they're sacrificing something that they deeply want. Right? So there's a certain value system here that you need to be in alignment with. Because if we if we take that same example, we could play that out across all values right? That sense of I'm being taken advantage of, I'm not getting what I want, I'm sacrificing too much for the relationship, my needs aren't being met, I'm not understood, I'm not respected, right? All the feelings that breed in that kind of situation, it ends up building like a giant wall between the two of you. And so this is what ultimately leads to a divorce, right? When there's such a wall between the two of you that there's just no reason to even be together, because 
there's, you're not sharing anything. You're maybe sharing a roof over your head, but that's it, right? Like that leads to divorce or it leads to like just an incredible amount of resentment where we just build these walls up and we don't even really like each other or even have much of a relationship, but we don't want a divorce. So we just stay together and we have completely separate lives. We don't know each other. There's no intimacy. There's no relationship. We're just, you know, I guess sharing a home and maybe contributing to bills or whatever, but right. So that's like, that's why values are so, so, so important. It's because you really, you can't have your vision without shared values, right? The values are the, are the, are the fire that fuels the vision. Velocity, the third one. So I'm talking about values, vision, and velocity. Velocity is the pace at which you are ready to move into a relationship. A lot of people are dating someone who would be the perfect partner one day when they finish school or when they get their career to a certain place or when they, when whatever happens in their life that they'll suddenly be ready for it, right? When their divorce is finalized, when they get to a better place with their troubled kid, when they you know, I mean, whatever, right? People have all kinds of conditions of the, the reasons are endless why I'm not ready for a relationship right now. And those reasons are valid. Like, I'm not saying that those reasons aren't valid. Like, you know, I've known a lot of men who have made a decision for themselves that before I get married, I want to build my career to a certain place because I want to have something to bring to a relationship. I want to be able to provide for our home and family and all of that. Like, like there are men who make that choice. I can't say that's a wrong choice. It's not the choice that I made. Right. When, when I met my wife, I was in my twenties, I was building my career and I've built it while we've been together. But that was the choice that some men made. And I can't say that's the wrong choice, but if you are ready to move forward now and you're in a relationship with someone who has all these reasons why you can't move forward, you've got to recognize that there's no compatibility. Even if you're good on every other, even if they check every other box, velocity is an essential part of the equation. The willingness to get started now. Now look, people have different paces at which they warm up to a relationship. And that's not what I'm talking about. So when I, when I met my wife, you know, she moved into the relationship slower than I did, right? Like I was like pretty clear, like I want to be with her. I, she's an amazing woman. Like she's the kind of woman I want to be with. She's the kind of woman I could see myself marrying. Like I, I was pretty clear that I wanted to be with her. She was not as clear as quickly, right? She had more considerations. She had a different past. She had different traumas. She, you know, different things happened for her. She had a different relationship with the whole thing. So, when we were moving into our relationship, I was moving maybe a little more quickly than she was. But that wasn't a difference in velocity in the way I'm talking about it. So I want to clarify the difference here because we were meeting the same benchmarks together. Okay, like in terms of being exclusive, in terms of being boyfriend, girlfriend, in terms of when we would move in together, 
in terms of, you know, we were long distance. So like we were planning trips and booking flights to see each other. And we were making those commitments, you know, monthly to book flights, to spend time together. And we always had trips booked in advance. So we always knew when we would see each other again. Right. So in terms of these benchmarks, we were moving along the same pace. She had more emotional resistance in the process than I did. Right. So we're moving along at the same velocity. But emotionally, she had more resistance than I did. That's okay. There will often be one person who has more resistance than the other. That's okay. People have stuff to work through. People have history. They have trauma. They have fears. They have insecurities. They have doubts. They've got to figure things out. That is okay. As long as you're moving at the same velocity, right? Remember those benchmarks, becoming exclusive, becoming boyfriend, girlfriend, right? Uh, for us, we were booking trips. For us, we, we were making plans, right? We were having those discussions. We were talking about when would we move in together, right? Like those kinds of things. So if the relationship is moving forward at a reasonable pace, that, a pace that you feel okay with, then you can give your partner or the person you're dating some space to work through their own emotional struggles, whatever they may be, right? Like you can give them some space to process and deal with that as long as the velocity is moving forward at a reasonable pace. Now, <laughs> there's actually a lot, maybe I'll have to do a part two to this because there's a lot more I want to say and um, we're already... Maybe I will just do a part two of this because we're already an hour in and um, I feel like there's just a lot more I want to talk about here in terms of choosing the right partner. So I think I will follow this up next week with a part two because um, I just didn't get to everything today. But I want to uh, I want to for today kind of sum up some of what we've talked about and um, and really just give you something to take into to take into this, you know, this week and. So a couple of, couple of key points for today, key takeaways for you. You know, number one is there is a magical process that happens as you clarify what you're looking for, as you grow through each experience, right? So I said in the beginning that all of us are going to encounter things we don't want. We're going to encounter the narcissists. We're going to encounter the the non-committal, the wishy-washy, the people who say one thing and do something else. Like we are going to encounter that is part of the journey, right? So when you encounter that, there's a process of recognizing that I don't want this, clarifying what you do want, releasing what you don't want and growing more in alignment with what you do want. To the degree that you do that, you will attract more and more people who are in alignment with what you actually do want. To the degree that you don't grow through these unfulfilling experiences is the degree that you will continue to attract them over and over and over again. I said that when you meet someone, there are two foundational green flags that must be present before you have any hope of having a long-term successful relationship with them. Number one, they must hear, receive, and honor your dream. 
if they judge you for it, if they criticize you, if they mock you, if they try to make you feel bad about it, if they make, if, if you share your dream and they make it out like you're putting pressure on them, like what they are revealing is they do not have the emotional maturity to actually hear and hold your dream with sacredness and respect. That's a red flag. It's a fundamental incompatibility. If you tell someone, long-term, I want to be married. I want to have a life partner. And their response is, don't you think that's a lot of pressure this early on? Red flag, fundamental incompatibility. They do not have the emotional maturity to hear and hold your dream. Sharing your dream is not pressure. If they receive it that way, they have fundamental like relational skills that are just not there. The second thing is not only do they have to hear and hold and receive your dream with sacredness and respect, but they have to at least be open to seeing themselves in that dream with you. Now, yes, the details of that will get figured out over time. It doesn't always work out. Just because they see themselves in the dream with you at the beginning doesn't mean 100% that they're going to see themselves in the dream with you a year from now. But if that is not there in the beginning, it's a fundamental incompatibility, it's a red flag, and there's no hope of a future. And those two things can be clarified within the first three months of knowing someone. Or at least, let me say this, the first three months of actively dating them. You know, if you met them once and didn't talk to them for three months, then obviously, right? Vision, values, and velocity, right? You need someone who has alignment with your vision, someone who is in alignment with your values, and someone who is in alignment with the pace at which you are ready to move into a relationship. If you meet someone who kind of, checks all these boxes, so to speak. You have a high degree of compatibility. You can safely say, I don't want to say that you are choosing the right partner, but you are choosing someone with a lot of potential. Now, there is really, and it actually works out that I'm going to do a second episode on this because there is another conversation of this where it's it's not just about what's needed to have a successful relationship, but it's about the individual personalities and how they interact, right? So there's, what we talked about today was really just flatline, fundamental foundational aspects that are needed for compatibility, for even the possibility of having a relationship with someone. What I'm gonna dive into in the next episode is the nuances of the personality differences and how you determine compatibility with that. So that's that's actually going to be a little bit of a different conversation. So it worked out that these two um, are in two different episodes. So um, I'm glad it worked out that way. Anyway, that being said, um, I want to open up for just a few questions, maybe I'll have about 30 minutes or so to take questions. Um, as, as always, I'm going to scroll through here, see if there are any questions from earlier that I missed. If you have questions, go ahead, drop them in the chat. And like I said, we'll be able to take uh, maybe about 30 minutes worth of questions today. 
So this question from Catherine uh, is in response to something I shared earlier. She's asking, can you really trust it when someone changes their mind after hearing you want something serious? And that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because there is a little nuance I, I need to speak into there. So thank you for catching that and bringing that up. Um, okay. So it, earlier what I shared and what, what Catherine's asking about is that... Um, I shared that on a first date, you want to say something. And there's this is how I coach it in the Inspired Love program. I'll just share it again for anyone who missed it. But this is what I tell all the ladies in the program. I say that on at the end of your first date, right, you want to say something like this. Now, you don't, you don't have to bring up anything the entire date, right? The whole date's just casual, fun, getting to know each other. Not, I mean, you could talk about serious things if you want to, but you don't have to, right? Just very easy, breezy. And then at the very end of the date, this is what you say. You say, wow. And, and by the way, this is if you want to see the person again. You say, wow, I had a wonderful time tonight. It was so much fun getting to know you. Um, I would love to see you again. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I, I just want to put something out there. Like, I, I want you to know that I am looking for something long term. You know, ultimately, I do want to be married. I do want commitment. And before we start planning a second date or getting too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to let you know that that's what I want. And, you know, if you're not even open to the same kind of stuff, then I don't think we should plan a second date. Right. So you're, you're putting, you're laying a line there and, and you're saying that, listen, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And if you're not even open to the same things, then I, I don't want to continue investing. I don't want to get to know you better. I don't want to develop a stronger attraction to you. I just want to end it here and move on. And so that was what I shared earlier. And what Catherine is asking is, can you really trust that? Because what I said is sometimes that person will say, I just don't, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I, I don't think I'm ready for that right now. They might say something to that effect. And then you say, okay, I totally understand. I respect that, but I don't think we should take this any further if that's the case. And then I've always said about 50% of the time, he'll come back, you know, uh, a day later, or a couple of days later and say, you know, I've really been thinking since our date. And I think I could be open to that. I, I want to give it a shot. Now, the question is, can you really trust that? Right. When they come back and they're like, I, I do really want to give it a shot. Can you trust that? And I, I mean, look, you can trust it enough for a second date. Right. Can you really trust it? Long term, I, I mean, it really just depends on the person. It depends on what you experience. But this is the thing. Like, I think, you know, men are, and this isn't all men, but I think it's a lot of men. And, and, and I say this, like, this is how, like, I was raised with my dad and, like, his friends. And, and, and I think it's just, like, there's, there's this culture of what I'm going to call toxic masculinity I know a lot of people don't like that term, but but it's a real thing. <laughs> like it's it is a real thing. Like look it up and learn about it, and you'll see it's a very real thing. Um, but there's this culture of toxic masculinity that men are young boys are raised in, and you know some get it more than others. Like I think some young men have male role models that are a little more honorable, and you know, and, and they're fortunate. But I didn't have that, and I think a lot of young men don't have that. And something that is something that is a core element of this toxic masculinity is the idea that a man should be noncommittal, 
should sleep around with a lot of women. Like like a, a status symbol of being a man is the fact that you sleep with lots of women, that lots of women want to be with you, that you have them at your disposal, right? Like that's that's a status symbol of of masculinity in the toxic masculine framework. And this is very, very prevalent. Like it's very, very prevalent. Um, I'd say all, all young boys who grow up to be men are exposed to this to some degree. And like I said, some more than others. I was personally exposed to it to a very, very extreme degree because my dad was a living embodiment of it. And so were all of his friends and my uncles and those were the men who raised me. So I was... I got like a very firsthand look at what this looks like. So I say all of this to say that because this man was brought up in that way, there's a certain programming that he's received about he's supposed to be noncommittal. He's supposed to want to sleep around. He's supposed to not fall too quickly for any woman. There's a certain persona or a certain mask he puts on about being like, I don't need anybody, I'm cool, I'm super independent. And so when you're, when you're meeting a man, like you've got to understand you're meeting a man who has some degree of this program and you don't really know how much. And what you might have is like, if it's someone like me, like I was, like I was raised by my mom till I was 13 years old. I was a pretty sensitive guy on the inside. But then I got to know my dad and I got programmed into his reality. And, and so, you know, when I was in my 20s, like I was a confused guy because on the inside, I was like a really kind, sensitive, empathetic person. I wanted to love. I wanted to be loved. And on the outside, I had this programming of this kind of man I thought I was supposed to be. And like realistically, there was just a lot of sorting out I had to do to figure out the kind of man I wanted to be for myself. And so when you're meeting a man, like to some degree, the same thing is happening for him. And you don't know where he is in that journey. You don't know how much work he's done. You don't know what he's been through. And so I know this is a long answer, but I'm getting to the point here. When you put that out there, when you say like, I'm looking for something, I'm looking for like commitment. I'm looking for something long-term. His response of like, I'm not ready for that might be so automatic that it, like he might not even in that moment have any other option to, to offer you. But afterward, he goes home, he thinks about it and he thinks about maybe how much he likes you. And maybe he thinks about like, would being in a relationship really be that bad? And maybe he thinks about like, wow, like, that was amazing, like how much respect she had for herself and how clear she is about what she wants. Maybe I should be more clear about what I want, right? And, and so like, you just, you don't know what's gonna go through his head. And so when he calls you up and he says, you know, I've been thinking about it, I think I could be open to that. You don't really know what kind of process he went through to get to that conclusion. And that's why I say, you can trust it enough to give him a second date you can trust it enough to go on a few more dates. You can trust it enough to have a few more conversations about it. And like, if you go on that second date, I would actually say to him, like, I would ask, right? Like, so it was really great to hear from you. You know, I wasn't expecting that. Um, tell me what changed, right? Like ask him, what changed for you? Why did you call me back? What happened? What was your, what was your process you went through to go from there to here? 
right? Like that could reveal a lot. Like him even telling you his process can reveal a lot. Like, because like, let's talk about the other side of it. Maybe he's just like, I'm just going to tell her what she wants to hear so I can get laid. Right? Well, if that's his come from, then you asking him about his process and realizing he has nothing intelligent to share about it is, is going to have you go, okay, maybe I don't want a third date with this guy. <laughs> right? So can you trust it? Yes, you can trust it enough for a second date. And I, I just, I want to say this because like, even, even in that, Catherine, and, and you ask beautiful questions. You're on here every week. You ask beautiful questions. I love your questions and thank you. And, and I want to point out something here that maybe is going on for you. And I, I think it's probably going on for a lot of people is we want things to be so black and white, right? We, we, we want to, you know, you want me to give you a question that you can ask and you're going to ask this question and the answer is going to give you a, a, a completely black and white answer that you're going to know 100%. And like, that's, that's impossible. And us looking for those black and white answers, like us, like it's really a form of protection, right? Like I don't want to live in the discomfort. I don't want to deal with any amount of uncertainty. I don't want to have to navigate these questions and these nuances. I just want everything to be really clear, really black and white. Like it's, it's a, it's a kind of a laziness, but it's not a laziness because we're lazy. It's a laziness from, because we're afraid. Right. And, and so we become lazy because we're afraid and it's a lot of challenge and it's hard and it's struggle. Right. So what I want to say is that like, there is no one question you can ask that's going to give you a black and white answer. There is no shortcut to doing the investigative work. And, and by investigative, I mean investigating in relationship. I'm not meaning like doing background checks and shit like that. I mean, sometimes maybe there's a place for that, but, but like really like investigating in relationship with the person, getting to know them, asking questions, spending time, observing their behavior, observing your own reactions, observing how you feel when they say this or do that, observing like, you know, is this what I want or is it not? And like really being present to that, like there is no shortcut to this. There is no shortcut to really figuring out who this person is. And that's not something that can be done with any one question. That's something that only happens when you get when you get engaged, right? When you get vulnerable, when you take risks. And, and I know the fear is like, you say, can I really trust that if he comes back and says he thought about it and he is open to it? Can I really trust that? And your fear is that, well, I'm going to see him again and I'm going to develop feelings and, and I'm going to get hurt. But like, that's the game like that is the game right and and yes of course there are there are certain reasonable precautions we can take to not get too invested in the wrong people but there is no way that you can play this game i don't i shouldn't even call it a game because that has some negative connotations but there's there's no way that you can be intimately engaged in this search for love without being vulnerable and without opening yourself up to pain like, I, like, do you understand, like me being married, do you understand the pain that I am open to every single day? It's like, I don't, we don't think about this, but it's like my wife literally has the power to crush me every single day if she chooses to, 
Like being in this relationship, I have willingly made myself that vulnerable. Like God forbid something were to happen to her, she would get in a car accident on the way home or something. Like, like my world would come crashing down. I would be wrecked. There is no possible way for me to be in this marriage without opening myself up to pain on that level. And all a relationship is like that. And you say, well, Shane, it's different for you because you're in a marriage and it's secure and you trust each other and all. It's not different. Because I had to go through all those stages with her to get to this place. And this is just another stage that's followed all the stages that we've been through. And there's going to be another stage that comes after this. It's not different. It's the same thing. It's the same level of vulnerability. In fact, we could argue that relationships only become more challenging the further you go into them. Now, they do become easier in some respects. You know, you develop familiarity and comfort and trust and security with the person, and and it gets easier in those respects. But it challenges you in other ways. There's no avoiding this. There's no escaping this. This is... This is the way we experience love in this world. This is the game that we're all playing. Again, I know game has negative connotations. I don't, I don't mean like game playing like that. But I mean, this is what we're up to here. This is what we're doing. Um, okay, great question, Catherine. Thank you. CBWA asks, can respect be a value? I think so, absolutely. Um, wanting to have respect in a relationship, having a certain code of conduct. I, I mentioned earlier about like, You know, when we fight, we don't call each other names. We don't make personal attacks on each other, right? Like that, that is respect. That is a value that we hold in the relationship. So absolutely respect can be a value. And and in fact, I I would say that, you know, it's, it's an essential value for a loving conscious relationship. So it's something that you should hold as a value and something that you should look for in people you date as a value. Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking a short question. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I want to jump in with um, this question from uh, Zainab. And she says, I seem to feel absolutely nothing in terms of attraction for 99% of men I meet. Um, I hear you on that. And this, this is a great question. I want to speak into it. It's, it's actually come up with... Um, few of the ladies I've been coaching recently, the same kind of theme of like just never feeling attracted. And what that really is, is it's a kind of avoidance. It's a kind of closing yourself down to protect yourself, right? It's, um, if we, if we're talking, when I say avoidance, I mean like on the, on the spectrum of like anxious and, and avoidant attachment, that um, that mechanism that you're talking about of never feeling attraction lands on the avoidant side of the spectrum. It's a it's a more avoidant tendency to just not feel attraction. And what it is is it's a it's a state of not being open. Like I'm not. It's a state of not being emotionally available. Like attraction is something that happens when you're vulnerable, right? Like attraction is vulnerable. Like when you when you become attracted to someone, that is vulnerable. Right, because now you've given them a little bit of power, even if they don't know it. They might not even know that you're attracted to them, but once you develop that attraction for them, there is a there's a certain power they have over you, where 
what they say or do to you carries a little more weight than maybe if someone else said or did the same thing, right? So attraction is, um, is a vulnerable thing. And one of the ways we protect ourselves from rejection, from that pain of, you know, not being wanted or not being reciprocated is by just not developing attractions in anyone. And so what I would say for you, and, and I, I hear you on this, and I know it can be feel very lonely and very painful. You've got to open your heart is, is really what it comes down to. And I know that's kind of an ambiguous thing to say. You're like, what does it even mean to open my heart? Well, there's the heart is an energetic center in the body. It, it's, a, it's an energetic center that governs our emotionality, it governs our relationships, it governs our uh, ability to connect with other people. And when the heart is open, we experience an incredible amount of pain. And not just in relationships. I mean, like, the, the thing is, is, like, when you live with, I actually did a podcast about this um, last year sometime. It was, uh, it, it was uh, the title was something to the effect of, like, how to live in the world with an open heart or how to keep your heart open through pain or something like that. But um, the thing is, is like, you know, when you, when you live in this world and you look at things like human trafficking, or you look at things like uh, what's happening in Gaza or Ukraine, or, or you look at just, you know, the, the amount of children who are living in abusive homes and uh, the amount of children who are starving. And, and I mean, you just look at these things. And if you are living with an open heart, and you are perceiving these things, it's just incredibly painful. And like I'll say, and my wife and I talk about this a lot, like we both, we both live with pretty open hearts and this is a pain that we carry with us every day. Like we, we talk about it all the time, like how heavy it is to just sometimes live in this world and not close yourself down. Because it's, it is, it's just painful. And there's, um, Again, closing down the heart is a way of protecting yourself from pain. And so what I would say in, in response to the question is that you've really got to open your heart. And that is a vulnerable process, right? When you open your heart, you will start feeling all the things that you haven't been feeling while your heart's been closed. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be challenging you'll probably go through some kind of dark night of the soul, you know, having, uh, working with a therapist around this would probably be very, very helpful. Um, because what you're really doing is you're opening up emotion that is, that you've been holding in your body that has not been being processed. And there, there's been a level of repression that's been happening. And when you start inviting that into your consciousness and, and, and receiving that, it's, it's going to be a force. It is. And this is, I think, like, um, you know, a lot of coaches and influencers, people on social media, they talk about the healing journey. They talk about what a ride it is, how the healing journey is like a roller coaster. And it's like, oh, and, you, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard people say that, like, the healing journey is not something to be taken lightly. That is like, a, it's a very serious thing to be given respect. And, and, um, and, you know, the reason is, is because, like, when you really do decide to start opening yourself up on the on this level and a lot of us have closed ourselves down because of childhood trauma 
because of relational trauma when we were younger, because of being ostracized by our peers or, or whatever, you know, different things. But when you really decide to open yourself up, um, you got to face all of that. And, and that is really the healing journey, right? It's, it's opening yourself up to all of it, dealing with all the fear and the anxiety and the sadness and depression that you've repressed throughout your life moving through all of that, getting to the other side of it, that, that really is the healing journey. And so what I want to say is it's time to start your healing journey, right? Like, and maybe, maybe the desire to feel attraction to someone, to, to, to the, the ability to fall in love again, the ability to have those parts of yourself be awake and alive, maybe the desire for that will be enough to have you really take your healing journey seriously. And, and throw yourself into it in a real way. Um, that's what I would say. And, and I'd say, you know, this is a very specific thing, but I think for all of you, wherever you feel stuck, right? Wherever you feel stuck, like those are the places you need to heal. And I, I hope for each of you that your desire for love and your desire for partnership and your desire to really have that manifest and to feel all of that and have that be alive like, I hope that desire is strong enough for you to take your healing journey seriously, right? Um, because that's really, that's the only thing that motivates us, right? Is, is wanting to experience something that we haven't experienced yet. That's what drives us into new levels of growth. And that's really why I do this work, right? I do this work to, to help people heal what they need to heal in order to invite true love into their lives. So anyway, um, it's a, Powerful question, and my answer is to start start focusing in on your healing journey in a real way, and you will open up more and more of yourself, parts of yourself that you didn't even know were closed, and it will be it will be an adventure, but one worth going on. Lots of love to you. Thank you for the question. All right, I'm gonna take this question from Eva Model Baker. Um, question is how to get over the heartbreak of a serious relationship. So I'll take this one. This will be the last one for today. Um, and Eva, thank you for thank you for the question. Um, oh, I just want to say you're, you're asking if I have a podcast. Yes, this is my podcast. It's, it's called the Conscious Love Show. You can find it on all podcast platforms. Um, so yeah, please go ahead and subscribe. And thank you for asking. Um, so Eva, to answer your question, how to get over the heartbreak of a serious relationship? And I, I think probably the best answer I can give you is to do a little research on how to get through grief because that's really what you're doing is you're grieving. And, you know, grieving is, grieving is uncomfortable, right? It's, it's painful, but it's not, it's not what we think it is. I, I think a lot of times like grieving is, how do I want to say this? It's like grieving is the process of transitioning from an old identity to a new identity. Let's put it that way. It's, it's like going through a death in a sense, because when you're, when you're in a relationship with someone and then you lose it, you know, you think you're grieving the loss of that person. And to some degree you are right to, to some degree, like there's the, the calls and the texts and their company and, 
you know, making plans with them and seeing them and the conversations and spending time. And, you know, when something exciting happens in your day and you just want to reach out to them and tell them, but then you're like, oh, I can't. Right. And, and those experiences are very, very sad, very, very painful. And, and so that's, that's part of it is just getting used to the absence of that person. But that is actually a, a relatively small part of it. The bigger part of the grief is not letting go of that person, but letting go of yourself, the person that you were with that person. And then coming into the new identity of who you are without that person. At least, at least when we're talking about going through a breakup, and we could even say going through a death, it's, it's similar, right? Like, I remember when my grandma died. It was like, I was 11 years old. My grandma was my favorite person in the whole world. It was a devastating, it was like, it was like the first really hard life experience I had. Um, like devastating life experience. And, you know, it was similar. Like I, I knew, like, yes, there was getting used to the absence of my grandmother. But realistically, I had moved halfway across the country from my grandmother when I was nine years old. I talked to her maybe a couple times a year. Like her absence was already a reality for me. So it wasn't getting used to her absence that was devastating, but it was understanding who I am in a world where my grandma didn't exist. And I think we go through the same thing when we go through a breakup, right? It's like, I've, I've come to understand myself as someone who is part of a unit. I've come, I've come to understand myself as someone who is a part of a partnership. My existence is conditionally like tied to this person in some way, right? I only, I only know myself in relationship with the person. Outside of that, I don't really know who I am. And yes, there are like codependent levels of this, right? There are like toxic codependent levels of this. And that's not really what I'm talking about, although it could be that. But even aside from the toxic codependent levels of this, there's just a realistic level of this. Right? Even if you're not toxically codependent, there's just a reality that like I exist in relationship with this person. My identity is tied up with this person. Every single day of my life for years now, right? my wife has been a part of it. We've talked every day. Whatever we were doing that day was discussed with each other. There were, right, like it's just been a part of who I know myself to be. And so in the absence of that, yes, I need to get used to the absence of the person. I need to get used to the fact that they're not there anymore. More than that, what I need to come to understand is who I am without that person. And what I want to say is, you know, going through the phases of, of grief, there's, uh, you know, denial and bargaining and anger and sadness and, you know, leading up to acceptance, which is ultimately, I guess, the resolution, right? Where, you know, finally I've come, I've come to peace with whatever I was grieving. Right? I'm finally at peace around the grief. Um, I, I'd say, like, do a little research around moving through those phases. Um, there's a lot of being with yourself. And, and when I say that, I mean just being present to what you're experiencing. Right? There's a lot of giving yourself time. You know, like even when you ask the question, like, what's the best way to move on from a breakup? I hear in that question that there's a little element of you wanting to get on with it already. And I get it. 
If I were you, I'd probably want the same thing, but that might not be possible right now, right? This may just take some time and you need to let it take the time it's going to take. Um, you know, I'd say like working with a therapist right now or a coach is huge. Have, have at least someone you can talk to on a weekly basis. Um, being in communities, being around great people is huge, right? Be, be around good energy, people who can give you positive messages and inspire you, right? Like that's important. Um, doing things to uplift yourself is really important to whatever degree you can, even if it's just going for a walk outside or getting a massage or taking a bath or spending some time with friends or making yourself a nice meal or sitting down with a bowl of popcorn and watching your favorite movie or like, but just like doing self-care is super important. And, you know, those are some of the tips that I think just help ease the situation, right? Like actively engaging in those positive things help ease the situation. And then you go through your process with it and it takes time. And trying to move on with it already slows the process down. Allowing the process to be there today Whatever it feels like, however hard it is, however much you wish it was different, just allowing and accepting it to be there today actually speeds it up. It makes it go faster. And I'd say one thing that I think really does help, and I don't think this can necessarily be done at the very beginning, right? Like this, this might, you might need to go through a little bit of the phases first before you can really start doing this, but really creating a compelling picture of your life without that person is something that I think really helps. When you can start to get excited about what's available for you that wasn't available when you're with them, and you can start to recognize that there is actually, like there's actually more available to you now, like your life can actually be better without them than it was with them, which is always 100% true. It, it, it can sometimes be difficult to see that, but it, but it is always 100% true. If it wasn't true, they, the breakup wouldn't have happened. And so as you can start to clarify that and start to really see for yourself how your life is better without them, how it can be better without them, that's going to really help motivate you and, and help you lean into acceptance. And again, that's something that maybe comes later in the process, not earlier in the process. But once you're starting to get to the other side of that person, or, or excuse me, once you're starting to get to the other side of that process, it's something that can really kind of push you into acceptance. So I think, uh, I think those are, you know, some of my best suggestions. And I said this earlier, I just want to say it one more time is, grow through the process. I think that is the most important thing. It doesn't matter how slowly or quickly you move through it, right? Like it does, like we're, we're so like, oh my God, if I don't get over this and move on, I'm never going to find anyone. Like that's actually not it, right? It's not about if I, if I don't get over it and move on, I'm not going to find anyone. If I move on too quickly, but I'm not ready to move on, I'm going to attract the same stuff as before. And I'm going to keep repeating those patterns. And then I'm never going to find anyone. Right? It's like you, you go faster by allowing yourself to slow down. Right? So it's like if I really allow myself to go through this process completely and I really do the work to go through this process so that when I come out the other side, 
I, I truly, honestly, in my soul, I feel stronger, I feel better, I feel more secure, I feel more hopeful, I believe in myself, right? Like truly on the other side, I feel all of that more than I did before. You are gonna attract better and better partners and, and create more and more of what you want that way. But if you, if you force yourself to get over it before you're ready, you force yourself to get back out there, if you fall into the fear of, oh my God, I'm still not over it, I'm never gonna find anyone, and then you allow that fear to cause a kind of manic action that just has you chasing something, you're just gonna create more of the same. So that's, that's what I wanna say, is like you've gotta allow yourself to really go through the process. You've gotta come out of it better than you went into it. You've got to really, on the back side of it, come out more excited about the future than the past. And, you know, I'd say if, if you're in it right now, probably one of the best things you can do is work with a coach or a therapist, right? Just really find someone who can help you um, go through this in the healthiest way possible. So you're not, you're not coming out of it worse than you went into it. All right. I'm going to close out with that, everyone. It's been, um, it's been wonderful being with you today. As always, it's such a pleasure. And I always look forward to these conversations. Um, I will be back with you next Tuesday with part two of this conversation. So looking forward to that. Um, lots of love, everyone. Wishing you the best in life and love. And I will see you back here next week. Okay. Many blessings. Take care. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at The Living Relationship, to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.